It's been a pretty hectic week around the Notre Dame football program. It started with a big-time commitment, then Matt Bayless stunned us all when he resigned, and now fall camp is in full swing. We've got it all covered on today's edition of Locked on Irish. You are Locked on Irish, your daily podcast on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on and welcome into Locked On Irish, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today is Friday, July 28th, so happy Friday to you. And if you're new to the program, I want to let you know that you can watch this episode as well as every other episode on YouTube or listen wherever you get your podcast. Whether you're watching or listening, I appreciate you tuning in. All I ask is that you please subscribe if you like what you hear. I'm Tyler Wojcik, and I'm the host. I graduated from Notre Dame in 2018, and I've been covering college football as a producer ever since, first for ESPN and now at Fox Sports, which is where I've worked since the fall of 2021. I've also been podcasting about the Irish since 2020, and that's why I'm here with you today. I'm finally back home in Los Angeles. I got in late last night after spending the week in Indianapolis working at Big Ten Media Days for Fox, but I'm super excited to be back with you to talk about the Irish now that fall camp is officially underway. I was obviously not able to attend practice this week because I was at Media Days, but last like you, I've been reading all the reports out there and watching all the clips, so I think I've got a pretty good sense of what went down in the practice fields. And then next week, I've got an interview on the books with one of the more, one of the more prominent guys on the Notre Dame beat, so be on the lookout for that because we're going to do a big fall camp report that will likely come out on Tuesday of next week. Since it's Friday, though, I'm also going to answer a few mailbag questions in the second half of the show, but I wanted to start today's podcast with some thoughts about Matt Bayless's decision to resign from his post as the Director of Football Performance, a.k.a. Strength and Conditioning Coach. So when the news came out on Tuesday, a lot of us, our first questions were, why? Okay, why did this happen? Because it truly came out of nowhere. So I'm going to read the beginning of the statement that the Notre Dame PR department put out when they announced this news because I think it provides some pretty important context now that we've had some time to sort of let it sink in and think back about, okay, why did this happen? Get a better sense of how everything transpired. So on Tuesday, the Notre Dame PR department released a statement with the news and a quote from head coach Marcus Freeman, quote, the University of Notre Dame's Tremetera Family Director of Football Performances, Matt Bayless, has resigned his position with the program effective immediately for personal reasons. Bayless had served in his role with the Irish since 2017. I want to thank Coach Bayless for all of the work he put into elevating our program, said Dick Corbett, head coach Marcus Freeman. I have a tremendous amount of respect for who he is as a coach and a man. While there is never a perfect time to lose a valuable teammate, we are thankful that Coach Bayless was able to see us through our summer program and have our players physically prepared to head into the upcoming season, end quote. Like a lot of you, I was stunned when I heard the news. I actually joked on Twitter that it was a fitting way to end a rather tumultuous offseason for Notre Dame. It was like one last punch to the gut on the final day of the offseason, but literally the day before the Irish kicked off fall camp. And the football gods just did not want us going to camp happy. Uh, that was not in the cards this offseason. I thought that maybe the news about Kingston Villamu Asa's commitment to Notre Dame and that excitement about not just recruiting, but just the Notre Dame program and the direction that it was heading was going to carry over into fall camp and then we get this news and you're like god damn it we just cannot catch a break this season and the timing of this all is really interesting given that it was the day before camp when I first heard the news I was thinking did Bayless have this date circled like did he have this planned out in his head for a while so that he would work through the summer to get the team ready for camp and this and the season and then resign and, you know, fairly or not, a lot of people assume that there was more to the story. I kind of thought that as well, because a move like this, uh, it, 
frankly, it doesn't happen without, you know, something attached to it, especially when you consider Matt Bayless's quote to the team um, right after Brian Kelly made his decision to leave for LSU, that clip that went viral where Bayless told the team that he wanted to die (laughs) at Notre Dame. It was like the most strength and conditioning coach quote of all time. He he was tearing up with the players because he, he loves Notre Dame so much. And when you think about all that, you realize that this decision did not come lightly for Matt Bayless. Now, I don't want to speculate on what happened, um, but I want to clear some things up that I think did not happen definitively. I don't know exactly what transpired. I don't know why exactly Matt Bayless made this decision, but I think that there were some rumors floating out there that I think need to be addressed and, frankly, eliminated from the conversation because I just I don't think they're true. So, was Bayless involved in a scandal we didn't know about? Freeman's quote in the initial release and then his additional comments at his first press conference lead me to believe that's definitely not the case because Freeman came out in full support of Bayless and his character in the initial statement. And then he said in his press conference that when Bayless called him and informed Freeman that he was thinking about resigning, Freeman did everything he could and really pushed to try to get him to to stay with the program and talk him out of that decision. But Bayless decided, no, this is what he needed to do. And, quote, I can't serve the players in the capacity that I need to as the head strength coach, end quote. That's what Bayless told Freeman. And with all of that in mind, I, I really don't think that there was some big-time scandal now because, or something that we're going to hear come out later um, just because I don't think Freeman would be willing to support him that way and say publicly how, how hard he tried to keep him around the program if there was something out there that, you know, is unflattering, to say the least. So I don't think that's it. Now, I've also talked to some people about, what, could this be a health thing? Is there something that we don't know about there? Um, I was told that Bayless does not have any health concerns for himself. Maybe there's something else. I, I don't know. I, all, I, all I know is that Bayless uh, is not dealing with any major health concerns for himself at this, at this time. So at this point, I don't really think we're going to get more details from anyone inside the program about Bayless and why he made this decision, but it is what it is. He made this decision, and I'm sure it didn't come lightly, but now Notre Dame has to think about, okay, what do they do next, and what does this mean for the program? And frankly, it's a huge blow. Um, Bayless is largely responsible for helping turn the program around after that debacle in 2016, and he helped foster the great culture that exists inside the locker room. Bayless was a critical part of that, and he has been a really, really good strength and conditioning coach. He pushes the guys really hard, but the guys seem to really love him and respond to him. Um, And I remember when I was in, uh, I was probably a junior at Notre Dame at the time. Yeah, I was a junior at the time. And I remember I was going to my first class of the day, and then my good buddy Sam Bush, who was a walk-on offensive lineman for the team, shout out Wapu Nation, he was a former president. Um, we had we sat next to each other in our first class, and I knew that he had his first workout of the winter workout program that day. So I get there, and he comes like waddling into the classroom, and he told me like, "Dude, that was the hardest workout of my life." And there had been some rumors once Bayless was hired from people at UConn and stuff, which is where Bayless worked previously that he was a real hard ass and that he was going to work these guys extremely hard. And boy, did he deliver in that first workout. And that sort of carried and that continued um, throughout his time at Notre Dame. Built by Bayless, I'm sure you've heard that quote by now. It's a real thing. Uh, He transformed a lot of players' bodies. And one other thing about him that I think gets kind of overlooked is that Notre Dame players have performed really well at the NFL Combine and at Pro Days for the most part since Bayless has taken over. Now, part of that obviously is due to an uptick in recruiting and recruiting better athletes and better football players. But Bayless is responsible for that as well. He gets those guys ready to go. I remember when Miles Boykin ran his 40 time, I was stunned. I was like, he's that fast. Same with Chase Claypool as well. Like I knew they were good players, but man, 
they were in great shape and they were ready to go for the NFL Combine, and that greatly improved their draft stock. So where does Notre Dame go from here? Uh, Fred Hale, who was the associate strength and conditioning coach prior to this move, he has assumed Bayless's role. Uh, he has experience running a strength and conditioning program before when he led the program at Eastern Michigan, and he's been around Notre Dame since January of 2021. That's when he joined Bayless's staff. He also worked at Tennessee. And considering he's been around for two and a half years, I'm pretty sure he knows the deal. Marcus Freeman said uh, he told him that there cannot be any dip, any drop-off now from Bayless to Hale. Hale knows the deal. He knows what Bayless's plan is. Like, the blueprint is all there. Hale just has to keep everyone on track. And this, honestly, doesn't change my outlook at all on what Notre Dame can accomplish in 2023. Um, Now, if the team ends up cratering, kind of like they did in November of 2014, maybe we can look back on this and say, well, maybe if Bayless was here, the guys would be in better shape, so this wouldn't happen. I don't expect that to be the case, all right? Like I said, the plan is laid out. Hale knows what the deal is. He just has to follow it. And it's been reported many times that Marcus Freeman was around the weight room uh, quite a lot. So he's very familiar with Bayless's program, especially in season, and I have faith that they'll be able to maintain that uh, for the course of the season. And once the season is over, that's when Freeman is going to have to make a decision because he could look outside the program for a replacement, maybe hire someone who he's closer with personally or someone he's worked with previously uh, from his time before at Cincinnati and Purdue and all those other places. Or he can make the decision to just keep Hale at the post if Hale does really well. If Notre Dame goes 11-1 and and the team's really clicking in November, that's quite a good av- advertisement for Fred Hale and what he could do. Either way, this is going to be another opportunity for Freeman to put his stamp on the program. Um, nearly the entire staff has turned over from when, he, when Freeman was first hired. The only coaches left on the coaching staff from the Brian Kelly era at this point now are Chris O'Leary and Mike Mickens. When Brian Kelly made his decision to leave before Notre Dame had even decided to promote Marcus Freeman to head coach, Jack Swarbrick made the decision that Matt Bayless was going to be around the program. He made that decision before he even had a coach. And sometimes that could be a little bit weird, but I think that's just how well-respected Bayless was at the time and how crucial he was to the culture and the Notre Dame football program. But with that, Hale was around during that time as well. Um, And I think that now at at this point in time, like, his imprint is already in the program, okay? Now Notre Dame just has to continue that and build off of that in the future. Now, whether they do that with Hale or whether they make an outside hire, it's going to be a very important decision for Marcus Freeman. And pretty soon here, uh, probably in just a few years, every single person on the staff in Notre Dame is going to be someone that Marcus Freeman hired. I think as fans, you have to have faith in Freeman that he's going to make the right hires, that he's going to build a culture that fits in with his style, but also is a continuation of all the good things that Bayless brought to the program prior to that. It's a blow right now. Um, I can't say for certain how difficult or how crucial this is going to be in the future, but I think that there's been some talk about how this couldn't have happened at a worse time. I disagree with that. I actually think that like Maybe the best time for this decision would have been at the end of the season, like right the day after the season ended for Notre Dame so that they could just make a hire and start the winter workout program from there. But the good thing is he was around the team for the entire summer, which is probably the most crucial part when you get all the freshmen in two because you got to transform those guys and turn them into college football players. So he was there for all of that. Matt Bayless was around um, and when you look at the weight gains and, and losses on the roster, it appears that the Notre Dame football program, all the guys in the roster are in prime condition and they're ready to go for this season. Now it's up to Fred Hale to sort of continue that and maintain that throughout the regular season. All right, coming up next, it's time for some mailbag questions. This episode of Locked On Irish is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. 
Personally, I was the beneficiary of a LinkedIn Jobs post a couple years ago. In between working at ESPN and Fox, I found a job opening at a production company called Religion of Sports on LinkedIn Jobs, and they made it easy to contact the hiring manager, learn more about the role, and eventually I got the job. LinkedIn also makes it incredibly easy to create a free job post on LinkedIn Jobs. All you have to do is add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. We all know hiring people can be time-consuming, but adding the right team member can be invaluable to your business, and LinkedIn Jobs make it e- makes it easier than ever before. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualifi- qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Well, thanks again for tuning into Lockdown Irish before you get your weekend rolling here. If you're watching on YouTube, this is your reminder to like the video below and subscribe to the channel. And if you're listening to the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe there as well. All right, now let's get to the mailbag questions. This first one comes from at Drew Brennan 77 This year's Notre Dame offense is going to be the best offense at Notre Dame since blank. And then next part, over under, Notre Dame's offense will average 38 points per game. Um... I think it's the best Notre Dame offense since 2018, which I realize isn't that long ago, but that team did make the college football playoffs, so they were pretty good. Um, the offense of 2019 actually averaged more points that year, but I think like five points per game, but part of that had to do, actually a lot of that had to do with the competition. That year, Notre Dame put up 66 points on a New Mexico team that looked like a JV high school team, and then 52 on Bowling Green um, in what was quite possibly the easiest win Notre Dame has ever had. 2018 had an inexperienced Ian Book at QB. I get that. But they also had Dexter Williams at running back, plus Miles Boykin and Chase Claypool at receiver. And uh, that offensive line was pretty stout that year as well. So I think that 2018 team was more dynamic. And uh, the 2015 offense was so loaded. Uh, I think that was the best Notre Dame offense that they've had in a, a long time. Definitely since the Weiss era, I would say. They had C.J. Proceis, who's actually the backup to Tarion Folson at running back. Will Fuller, Deshaun Kaiser before he fell off. Um, Chris Brown was a solid number two wide receiver, plus the offensive line was so stacked. Um, So will they average 38 points per game this season? That's a lot. Um, If they averaged 38 points per game last year, that would have been good for 12th in the entire country. So I think they can do it. Obviously, Sam Hartman is a big reason why, as well as the offensive line. But... In order for that to happen, one of the wide receivers is going to have to step up in a big way. I'm talking a thousand yard plus uh, reception yard season with another guy probably not too far behind him at like 600 to 750 receiving yards because you need really explosive guys on the outside to have such a dynamic offense in the modern college game. I like Jaden Thomas a lot. I think he's really reliable. Uh, I think he can do a bunch of different things for you, but is he explosive enough to rack up those kind of stats? That's yet to be seen. Um, it's Frankly, it's yet to be seen from any wide receiver on the current Notre Dame roster. And based on what we've heard about Tobias Merriweather, I think he definitely has the physical attributes necessary to pull that off, but he's got to put it all together. Um, and that's a pretty significant jump going from one catch for 41 yards in his freshman season to a potentially 1,000-yard season in his sophomore year. But Equinemia St. Brown had that kind of a breakout season his sophomore year, as well as Will Fuller, although Will Fuller got a little bit more action during his freshman season. So it's definitely possible for Tobias to to make that kind of leap this season. We just have to see it happen. Another thing that kind of goes into this is considering how good I think Notre Dame's running game is going to be, I could definitely see a scenario where they're they're up early in a lot of these games, and then they just sort of 
pound the rock the rest of the game because they're going to be able to get like six to eight yards every carry with Audric Estime toting the rock running behind that really, or what we expect to be a really stout offensive line. Like if Notre Dame is up 10, they're up 14, they might just run the ball and bleed the clock. So it'll be good for the win-loss record. They're going to win a lot of games, but I don't know if they're going to be able to get to that 38 points per game number. Really, the the thing that matters most here is not like the, the final number of points per game uh, because obviously that can be a little bit misleading. I just pointed that out with the 2019 offense. It's just going to come down to how explosive is the Notre Dame offense against Clemson, USC, and Ohio State. We've seen Notre Dame's defense come up big in some big-time games, but we haven't really seen the offense deliver in a huge way uh, in those big spots yet. Now, a lot of that has to do with the quarterback play uh, and the quality of opponents that they've played in the past, but that is going to be the biggest difference to me. So I would say the safe bet on Notre Dame averaging under 38 points per game, but I do think it's going to be the best offense that Notre Dame has had since 2018. All right, this next one comes from at Frank Starvovich. Uh, I hope I said that right, Frank. People get my name wrong all the time, so I feel your pain, brother. Uh, Frank wants to know, who wins the backup quarterback job? Will this year's backup win the starting job for next season? This is something that Pete Sampson and I talked about on my last podcast where the backup quarterback competition is sneaky, very important, not only for this season potentially, but also beyond. And right now, I think Steve Angeli is going to win that job. He's been around the program for a full year longer than Kenny Minchie has, and it sounds like Angeli had a really good practice to start fall camp despite a few interceptions early in the red zone period. It sounded like he really figured things out and was dealing for the rest of the practice. In case of emergency this season, if Sam Hartman were to go down, I feel like the staff is probably more comfortable putting Angeli out there just because he's been around the program longer than Kenny Minchie. Um, I know Kenny Minchie didn't look great in the blue and gold game, but that's his first time playing in Notre Dame Stadium. I don't put a ton of stock into that. In long term, I actually am higher on Kenny Minchie than I am with Steve Angeli. But if we're talking about the present, I think it's probably a safer bet that Steve Angeli is going to beat him out. Now, if Kenny Minchie ends up winning the backup quarterback job over Steve Angeli uh, and winning it with his play on the field and not because Angeli got hurt or something like that, that's a different story. Because if Minchie beats out Angeli this year, Angeli is almost certainly going to transfer after the season ends because that's just what you do when a younger quarterback beats you out. You're probably not going to like turn that around and beat him out again later down the road. So I would assume Angeli were to transfer. In that case, now Notre Dame is looking at a really interesting position because even if they have high hopes for Kenny Minchie and they are a believer in him because he was able to beat out Angeli, they might be looking at a depth problem if Angeli decides to transfer because they're going to lose Hartman after this year. And then they'll have true freshman C.J. Carr come in also, I'm sorry for the background noise. It's really hot in L.A., so I had to open up my uh, garage for this one. I'm, I'm literally sweating right now. So if there's some background noise, I apologize. I tried to edit that out in post, but I just heard a car go like 80 down our street. I'll, I'll keep that in. Whatever. Anyway, back to Minchie. Um, if he wins out with his play, in Notre Dame's coaching staff is going to have to make a decision regardless after this season about whether they want to pursue a transfer quarterback, but that's going to be even more interesting if Minchie wins, but then Ancelli transfers, because then there's just not going to be a lot of guys in that room. So then if you go out and add a transfer quarterback, then you could end up pissing off Minchie. And again, it's a really delicate situation. This problem is not exclusive to Notre Dame. Pretty much every college football program in the country has to deal with a delicate situation at quarterback with the way the transfer portal works now and just the nature of the position. So I think it's going to be Angeli. I do. I cannot say for certain if that's going to have an impact on next year or not. If Sam Hartman goes down and misses a bunch of games and then one of these guys has a chance to prove himself this season, different story. But for now, I think Angeli's the backup, and then we're going to have to wait and see about who's going to be the quarterback next season. 
Okay, next up, this one comes from at Daniel Lockie one What's one game the Irish will be heavily favored in that worries you for this season? Um, first of all, shout out Dan Lockie for the question. That's two weeks in a row with a good one. Um, that's what I expect from a guy with as much big man swag as Dan, so shout out to you, brother. Um, I don't know if Notre Dame is going to be heavily favored against Louisville, but I'm starting to worry about that game. Um, this is definitely a bit personal because I'm from Louisville. A lot of my friends are big Louisville fans, and I know that if Notre Dame were to lose that game, I would never hear the end of it. I'm I'm just now getting over the loss to Louisville back in 2014. That was really tough. Reggie Bonifant, the quarterback in that game, who then ended up converting to wide receiver, he ended my high school football career basically because he torched us when we played him in the playoffs, and then he just twisted the knife by beating Notre Dame at home during my freshman year. That was uh, that was not fun. I do not want to live another situation like that where Louisville ends up beating Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame is more talented than Louisville. I think that they're a better team. But Notre Dame plays Louisville kind of a weird time because they have to play Louisville the week before they play USC, and they're going to be coming off a game at Duke, which could be tough, and then they play Ohio State the week before Duke. So that's a tough four-game stretch going from home against Ohio State, at Duke, at Louisville, and then home against USC. Um, It might not seem like a gauntlet to the outside, but those are going to be four quality opponents. And Jeff Brom, the new head coach at Louisville, uh, sort of a local celebrity in Louisville. He's like the whole Brom family is legendary there. They're really excited about him. He's a really good coach, and he always, always pulls off one big upset every single year. He's also totally transformed that roster in the offseason, so there's an element of the unknown there. Um, But they did pick up a lot of good skill guys in the portal, so they could be a dangerous team. Again, Notre Dame is better than them. They're going to be heavily favored, but this is one that kind of worries me. Um, Another one that I think might be in this boat, uh, I think Pitt. Notre Dame is probably going to be heavily favored against them, and that kind of scares me given how annoying Pitt has been in the past. I mean, Pitt has basically or has almost ruined two perfect regular seasons for Notre Dame, first back in 2012 in that insane three-overtime game. And then in 2018, they really had Notre Dame on the ropes there for a little bit. Now, look, I hate Pat Narduzzi. I hate Phil Dracovic, so I don't want to have them even get a glimmer of hope in that matchup. I want Notre Dame to crush them like they did in 2020. It's certainly possible that they will do it, but... Given the nature of the question, I think Notre Dame is going to be heavily favored, and just Pitt always causes problems. So I guess that could be a sneaky one, but honestly, Louisville is the one I'm thinking about. All right, we got a couple more mailbag questions to get to, and that's coming up right after this. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. For a championship team, it's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, you can be sure every part you need fits right the first time around. Just add your eye to my garage and look for the green check to know the part will fit or your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, 122 million parts, that's insane, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. eBay guaranteed fit, only available to U.S. customers, eligible items only, exclusions apply. All right, we got a couple more mailbag questions to get to. This one comes from at Danny underscore Feldmeyer. What's the biggest ND fall camp overreaction in recent seasons besides the Blake Rupi slander? Um, quick side note on Blake Rupi. He's got to be, like, the least physically intimidating player in the entire National Football League. He posted a picture um, in his New Orleans Saints uniform saying, let's go. And I chuckled, man. I'm sorry. Shout out Blake Groupie and shout out to all the short kings out there. But the fact that that man is on an NFL roster is frankly just so funny given his stature. But 
he was a decent kicker in year one for the or in his one year for the Irish. And uh, yeah, there was a lot of concerns about him going into the season, and he was, you know, pretty solid. There's certainly some misses that um, I think we all wish he could have had back. But you know, one year rental, I thought he was pretty solid. Um, speaking of kickers, I've heard some good things about Spencer Schrader and what he's done at Notre Dame, which is good because obviously you need a good kicker, and I think he's going to be pretty reliable for the Irish this season. But back to the question, um, you could make the case that the conversation about the defensive line last year was a big overreaction. Um, we all thought the defensive line could be elite with Isaiah Foskey, Jason Adamiola, uh, Riley Mills was expected to have a huge year, and that was sort of baked into all the preseason expectations. But unfortunately, it was never at that level. Did they play well? Yeah, they were pretty good, but they were never this elite group that we thought they could be, especially in the big games. Um, meanwhile, the concerns about the wide receiver position last year, they uh, they proved to be pretty valid. Notre Dame was very thin at that position in camp, and they were thin all year, especially after Avery Davis went down with his season-ending injury during fall camp. Another uh, one that came up was in 2018. I think the freshman receivers that year got a lot of hype. Uh, they had Kevin Austin, Braden Lindsay, and Lawrence Keyes. Some people thought they could make an impact right away, and that just didn't really happen. Keyes' career was pretty disappointing. Uh, Lindsay started off really strong that season. Then it kind of went south and then finished pretty well, I would say, last season. And then Austin, he dealt with a bunch of injuries and couldn't get out of the doghouse for a while before he finally broke out in 2021. So that group really never lived up to expectations, and that was probably a bit of an overreaction. Um, another one that comes to mind is back in 2021, um, it sounded like Maris Leofau was practicing like he was the best player on Notre Dame's defense, and this was coming off an impressive end of the 2020 season for him uh, when he had that breakout game against North Carolina. He was having a really great camp before he suffered a broken leg injury that wiped out his 2021 season. Based on what we saw from him last season, that might have been a slight overreaction. Now, obviously, it's very possible that part of the reason he struggled last year was because he was coming off of that injury. So that might not be fair to say, but I was, as I was thinking back, I actually went through a couple of the preseason uh, reports going way back to 2007, and that... That was pretty funny, knowing what was to come that year and, and hearing the reports. Really optimistic about like Matt Ragone and, and Robbie Paris and George West. And shout out Robbie Paris. I love him. But um, And also James Aldridge, how good he looked. Yeah, I think, uh, I think we might have missed the boat on uh, that one. But I don't know. I feel like this answer wasn't as good. So I apologize to you, Danny. Last one here. At Voluntary Joel 41, if you could create an alternate uniform combo like Shamrock Series, what would it look like and for what game? I thought about this. Um, first of all, the helmets should never be touched, uh, ever, under any circumstance. They're already perfect. Why change them? The solid gold is a great look. They don't ever need to put anything on them. So any alternate uniform for the rest of time should never even touch the helmet. I want to be different here. I do like the all-white unis that they've rocked in the past, but I think they should try out gold jerseys for a change. And not mustard gold like the pants are. I'm talking legit gold. I think gold jerseys with navy blue numbers and white trim with white pants and, and white socks and white cleats could look really cool. Um, I wouldn't change the numbers or anything that much. I like how those look now. I would just change the colors. I think we got to give a gold rush jersey theme a shot. And uh, if we're being honest, my favorite jerseys that Notre Dame has worn in recent years are technically alternate. The throwback uniforms they wore in that 2019 game against Boston College, which was like a modern take 
uh, on the look of the teams in the 80s. They rocked those fake mesh jerseys with white cleats and, and or no, excuse me, white socks, black cleats, and then gray gloves. I thought they looked so clean. They should just make that the permanent look, except for the fake mesh thing in the numbers. They could probably get rid of that, but I thought that was really clean. I'm also a big fan of the all-white jerseys they've done uh, for the Shamrock Series last year against BYU. I thought those were great for the most part, and my favorite combo is the one they wore back in 2013 against Arizona State. Uh, I, see, I think there's something about the white and gold that just pops for me. The green jerseys, they've done them before. That's really not that creative if I said that. Um, and anything like all navy, I didn't really. I just don't really love those. Like the ones they wore against Purdue when they played in uh, Lucas Oil Stadium. I think that was in 2014. I, I wasn't a huge fan of those. So that's my take: gold jerseys, uh, gold hats, white pants, white socks, white cleats. That would be my alternate uniform. And for what game? I don't like doing this for any like major game. Uh, you know, not against USC. Not against Clemson anymore because I think that's basically like a modern rivalry now. I, I think it's good to do the Shamrock Series against teams who um, aren't as big on the schedule. Someone like a BYU or someone like that. So actually, now that I think about it, I think it'd be good to wear them against Purdue because they have some weird gold things. So I think we could play Purdue and then completely show them up with our much better gold jerseys, gold uniforms, and all that. I think that'd be a sweet look. And uh, Purdue, that's a game where you can afford to wear an alternate jersey and not really piss off the entire fan base. But that is going to do it for this episode, and that is another week of Locked on Irish in the books. On your way out, please subscribe to the show on YouTube or wherever you're listening to the podcast, and follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Irish, on Instagram at Locked on Irish Pod, and my personal Twitter account at Tyler, W-O-J-C-I-A-K. Enjoy your weekend, everybody, and I will see you next week.